I have three communication objectives this morning. Objective number three is I want to end today with a challenge. I'm going to give us a challenge today that all of us are going to do on Friday. This is Good Friday, so I'm going to talk about that in just a minute. Uh, Challenge number two is we're learning some of the names of Jesus. In the New Testament alone, there are over 44 different names or titles of Jesus. And we're going to learn one of those today that's not real familiar. And then first of all, we're going to talk about Palm Sunday. That is today. Everybody know today's Palm Sunday? All right, next Sunday's the Super Bowl. It is the Super Bowl. It's Easter. But uh, this is Palm Sunday. So I want to talk about that for just a couple minutes this morning. It's a great story. You're familiar with it. Jesus and his disciples are about to enter into Jerusalem. And as they approach Jerusalem, Jesus says to two of his disciples, I want you to go ahead of us, and as you enter into the village, you will find a colt. It's tied up there. It's never been ridden. Untie the colt, bring it back to me, and I'm going to ride this colt into the city. If anybody stops to ask you, what are you doing? Just tell them what? The Lord needs it. I think that's cool. Wouldn't that, wouldn't that be cool if that worked for us? I mean, we would go to the Ford dealership. We somehow get the keys to an F-150. We drive that baby right off the lot. The salesmen are screaming, what are you doing? And you just say, I think that would work, don't you? In fact, I want you to try it this week and see how that works. And I'll, I'll support you. I'll pray for you. Okay. And so they do that. They untie it. They bring it back. And sure enough, somebody says, what are you doing? And Mark says, they said the Lord needs it. And so it's a time where we're kind of separated from this. But if you picture Jerusalem filled with Roman soldiers and they're enslaved, it's a time when messianic expectations were at an all-time high. And the people of the city then began to basically have a pep rally. It was not a five-minute pep rally. It was not a 10-minute pep rally. This was for hours and hours and hours. And on that Palm Sunday, as Jesus rode into the city, people were cutting off palm branches, throwing them on the ground, waving them. They were taking off their cloaks and putting it over the, the donkey. And Jesus rode on it, putting them on the road. It was a frenzy. And everybody realized that this was the fulfillment of an Old Testament prophecy from Zechariah. In fact, Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9 says this, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you. And they're so excited because they think Jesus is going to be a military king. And he wasn't. He wasn't a political king. He didn't come for politics. He came for spiritual reasons. Your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. And everybody is cheering. Everybody's mesmerized. And this is the last Sunday of Jesus' earthly life. This is the last week of Jesus' earthly life. And he rides into Jerusalem on this donkey, and everybody in the city has great, incredible expectations. And it says then at the end of that day, Jesus goes into the temple. Mark chapter 11, verse 11 says this, right on the heels of them going in there. 
This is the Palm Sunday passage of scripture. This comes right after, obviously, verse 10. And verse 10 is talking about Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And Jesus enters into Jerusalem. Now this verse, I'm sure I've read it before. I think I've read over it 50 times. I've never noticed this verse before. That after this incredible euphoric event, at the end of the day, Jesus is going into the temple. Now the temple is the epicenter of all religious activity. That's where religion happened in the temple. And at the end of this day on Palm Sunday, he goes into Jerusalem, he goes in the temple courts, and he looks around at everything. What is he looking at? What does Jesus see? How, how does Jesus feel at this moment? Is he mad because he sees all the sin and he sees all the systems and he sees all the separation going on between races and, and genders? Is he anxious? Is he like overwhelmed realizing that in this temple there have been thousands of animals slain and tens of thousands of gallons of blood that have been poured out? And does Jesus go into this temple and he realizes that he's going to become the Lamb of God? He will be the slain Son of God and his blood will be spilled. Or maybe it's not he's mad, maybe he's not anxious. Maybe there's some kind of peace. And for the first time in all humanity since the Garden of Eden, there's going to be reconciliation between men and women and their heavenly Father. For the first time, maybe there's going to be real change. And, and God and Jesus want change. And there's going to be real change that's now able to happen in people's lives. Well, Jesus goes into these temple courts. I don't know what he saw, but I'd love to know. I'd love to get five minutes with Jesus and say, tell me, what was going through your mind right before the very last week of your life? Well, I want to talk about a name today for just a few minutes because it's a very unique name. And one of the reasons why I think we should know these names of Jesus, the names of God, is because they inspire us and they enable us. Okay, all of you say inspire. inspire. All of you say enable. enable. They, inspire. and they, enable. and they do both. And so we learn these names. And these names of God inspire us and enable us to be a contributor. I think... 99% of you in this room, you're here because you want to contribute. You want to contribute to your family. You want to contribute to your culture, to, to your home, to, to your workspace, to your church. I think you want to contribute. What gets in our way is our busyness. What gets in our way are all the different distractions that we have in our life. And so Jesus is going into the temple courts and he's looking around and going, I'm a game changer. I'm a playmaker. I'm getting ready to change everything for all of eternity. And Jesus will change everything, and he will change you, and he will change me. And so these names of Jesus, they inspire us, and they enable us to make an incredible difference. And so turn with me to the last book of the Bible, 
to the last chapter of the last book of the Bible to nearly the last verses of the last chapter of the last book of the Bible. What book are we talking about? Very good. Revelation chapter 22. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 22, and we're going to start with verse 12. And, and Jesus is like winding this whole thing down. It's all coming to a head in Revelation 22 about verse 12. Let's start with that verse. Here's what Jesus says. He says, look, I am coming soon, and my reward is with me. And I will give to each person according to what he has done. There's a whole sermon right in there, in that one, which we don't have time for today. But here's some of the titles. Here are some of those descriptions of Jesus. I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the first and I am the last. I am the beginning, and and I am the end. Verse 14. And blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life. I love how the Bible's put together. The Bible starts with the tree of life, and the Bible ends with the tree of life. If you've ever noticed this, there's five or six things where the Bible starts, and, and they end in exactly the same place. Here's one of them. The Bible starts with the tree of life, and the Bible ends with the tree of life. They have the right to the tree of life. The tree of life keeps us from aging. The tree of life keeps us healthy. The tree of life keeps us vital. God's going to provide for every one of us who are Christians the tree of life and may go through the gates to the city. And there's great shelter and there's great protection inside the city. Now, verse 15 is not so good. We don't want to be a part of verse 15. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. We don't want verse 15, do we? Well, that's not us. Verse 16 says this, I, Jesus, I have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. Now, I love this because this book of Revelation is to be revealed to the church, and this is a message to Christians. This is a message to believers. This is a message for us. This is a testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, and I am the bright morning star. And for just a couple minutes this morning, I want to talk about the bright morning star. And maybe that's a description. Maybe that's a definition. Maybe that's a title of Jesus that, that you're not real, real familiar with. So let's talk about this for just a minute. You see, what God wants to do in your life is bring change. He loves you. He accepts you how you are, but he loves you too much to leave you where you are. And so he is offering to you the bright morning star. And the bright morning star shines. And the bright morning star is clear. And the bright morning star is visible. If you ever lose your way, you find the bright morning star. The bright morning star will give you clarity, will will give you direction. Now, this is a great word picture, so follow follow this with me for just a minute. You see the root of David, you got to have roots. If you don't have roots, you can never have fruit. So the better the roots, the greater the fruit, right? I'm not a farmer, but we can all follow that, okay? So you got the root of David, which goes deeper and deeper and deeper. And the deeper the roots are, the brighter the morning star is. 
The morning star is not hidden. It is for all to see. And so part of your life is going deeper and deeper and deeper. And we can't see that. We can't see your Bible studies. We can't see your prayer. We can't see your heart. We can't see your faith. We can't see your confession. But that's your personal relationship. And it goes deeper and deeper and deeper. That's why as a church, we're always trying to get you a little bit deeper. Because the deeper your roots are, the better your fruit's going to be. So part of our lives is going deeper and deeper and deeper. Jesus says, I am the root of David. But he also says, I'm the bright morning star. And so the star illuminates your path. The star gives you clarity. The star gives you guidance. You want to know God's will? You get a little bit deeper and you look to the star and the star is bright. Something else that I kind of noticed about this is kind of cool, I think. And that is the only other prophetic book that even begins to compare with the book of Revelation is the book of Daniel. And the book of Daniel is sealed, but the book of Revelation is unveiled. And so, again, the book of Daniel is like, it's hard to understand. The book of Daniel is kind of sealed up, but not so the book of Revelation. It's the apocalypse. It's the revelation of John. And so he wants you to know him as the bright morning star. Have you ever noticed that the bright morning star always comes at the darkest hour of your life? In those moments where you're going through a tragedy or, 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 or great stress, stress or difficulty, the bright morning star shows up and will illuminate your path. It will give you clarity. This is what's so cool about our relationship with God and with Jesus is that he comes to you through a scripture verse or he comes to you through a phone call. You haven't, you haven't talked to a friend in six months and they call you up and they say, how are you doing? And you're honest with them. You say, I'm not doing too good. And all of a sudden you recognize that God's using that person to bring you back to him. Maybe it's late at night and you're watching an old Billy Graham rerun or something, you know, from 30 years ago. Billy's got it now, he's had it then. And somehow that, that old sermon from Billy Graham just inspired you and motivated you and transformed your heart and your life. The bright morning star comes to you and to me. And he inspires us, and he enables us to be contributors. None of us in this room want to be low light. None of us in this room want to be a 10-watt light bulb. None of us in this room want to be dull. We all want to be able to let our light shine and contribute in great ways that we were designed to be. Every one of us has a human condition to allow ourselves just to shine for him. And so the bright morning star comes into your life. Let's look at what 2 Peter says. This is cool from Peter. Peter says, we also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable. And you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star, there it is again, and the morning star rises in your hearts. When Jesus went into that temple and he looked around at the temple courts and he looked around at everything, I think he saw you and I think he saw your future. And I think he saw what he could make you into. I think he saw that I can take this man and I can take this woman and I know that they're here, but I can take them here. 
and I can help them then to have a great impact in their families and their church and their community and their workforce. I, the bright morning star, can change everything in their lives. And so we come to him, and he inspires us, and, and he enables us just to do a great work. So how can you grow deeper? And how can your light shine brighter? If that's the goal, how, how can you do that? How can you grow deeper, your roots getting deeper and deeper, your personal faith, and how can your, your witness, your testimony, your influence, your impact, your platform, your leverage, how can all that shine a little bit brighter and brighter and brighter? Well, we're going to do something this Friday. This Friday, we're going to do something together. It's called a fast. And we did a 21-day fast earlier in the year, and it was a partial fast. And I know that you're still receiving dividends from that 21-day fast. From that 21-day fast, you will reap dividends all year long. And I'm going to talk in just a few minutes about the, the results and the reasons why, why we do that. But this Friday, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a church fast. It's an all-church fast. And though the 21-day though the fast was a partial fast, you picked something that meant something to you, we're asking for this Friday for this to be a total fast from solid food, not from water. Drink lots of water, drink lots of juice, do your coffee thing. I don't care what you do liquid-wise. And maybe there's some medical reasons that you can't do this. That's okay, too. Pick something else. But for those of us that can, and all of us hopefully will, let's pick Friday. Let's pick Friday, and I'm going to give you three in a little bit later, three very specific pieces to do during your fast. But um, we're going to ask you to do this. This is what Jesus did for us. He gave his life for us. And so on this Friday, I'm asking you, and maybe Friday won't work. Pick Monday. Pick Tuesday. Pick another day. But we'll break the fast at the 5 and 7 o'clock services. If you come to 5 o'clock, you get to break the fast earlier. But we don't care. We don't care. We had so many people last year at Good Friday that 125 people stood up and 50-some people were in the lobby. So we're doing two services uh, this year, one at 5 and one at 7. It'll be a, it'll be a great time. But I, I want to tell you um, a story that happened during our 21-day fast. And I, I think it was about day 14. It may have been day 15 um, of the 21-day fast. It was on Sunday morning. And I'm out there in the lobby, and, you know, five gajillion of you people are out there in the lobby. He's coming in and out. That's a preacher's count, but maybe in six, maybe six gajillion of you. But, and um, Danielle Long. And I knew Danielle and Mike had been on the lung transplant list for quite a while. And I knew Mike was just literally melting. He was fading physically with cystic fibrosis. And Mike just kept getting weaker and thinner and weaker and thinner and thinner. And I think it was day 14, maybe day 15, but Danielle caught me out there on a Sunday morning with tears coming down her face. And she said, I, we need a miracle. We've got to have a miracle. We're fasting, we're praying, we're asking God for a miracle. And I want you to see this video 
from Mike and Danielle Long. He got a miracle. He got two new lungs about a week or so after that fast. Watch the video. Cystic fibrosis is a, is a disease that is um, degenerative that affects the lungs, the pulmonary, and the, re- the respiratory, and the digestive system. Most of my life, I've only struggled with the digestive end. So I've really done everything that I've ever wanted to do in my life in terms of playing and running and you know, everything else. Um, until the last probably seven years or so, um, when the respiratory side of it started to really hit me. There's certain volume and percentage levels that they look at in terms of your respiratory. And once you start to fall within below 30% of your capacity, especially for cystics and people with COPD and degenerative and any type of lung diseases, they start saying you might want to think about getting on the transplant list. I was a little proud then. I don't need to get a transplant. 30% we can do that, you know. That starts to fall after a while. And uh, it got more serious and got more real. September 2012, I was, I was in bad shape. It was that uh, September when I got um, admitted into the hospital. Um, it was going to be for just bad infection and pneumonia, and they said, we're going to get you in, and they listed me. So it was a long time on the list, and when we initially got listed, they said, it's usually, it could be three to six months, maybe six to nine months. It's never longer than... The nine months really goes past a year. Really goes past a year. So I was very limited to what I could do and where I could go. For a 14-year-old and a nine-year-old, that's not what they want to see. There, they knew their dad's sick. I mean, they know CF. They knew what it was. They understood what it was, but it wasn't really impactful to them until they saw me laying on the couch all day. I couldn't do anything. I could hardly get around. I lost so much weight because I couldn't eat. It's a, it's a feeling that's emasculating to, to really put a finger on it, that you can't fulfill your role. Um, I couldn't play catch with my son. I couldn't go and you know have talks with my daughter. Um, I couldn't do anything with my wife. I couldn't help around the house. It is, um, it's a feeling of inadequacy and just knowing that it's not ever going to get better unless I get a new set of lungs. It's the only way it's ever going to get better. We certainly learned a lot about just prayer uh, through this and the power of a church family. I, I don't know how anybody could do anything like this, go through anything like that without a church family, that's for sure. Um, so I, I'll never forget, there was a, we had a second call. That was the first time when I, I, I surrendered and I said, okay, I'm ready. But it was more than I'm ready for the surgery. I'm ready, whatever your plan is. And I never, ever wanted to admit that. Um, that was a complete surrender. Friday night before the actual transplant took place. Because remember, we didn't know. 
That was too frightening. We knew it. We didn't know. We had no idea. And, and so the elders um, and some other great friends and, and, and former elders came over. And we sat in the living room and just literally, they laid hands, prayed over me like I've never felt before. And I never thought about it as a miracle is what I needed. And it was um, about a week and a half later, and as we're waiting for a wheelchair, we were delayed a little bit to get up to the office. We get the wheelchair and we're backing into the elevator to go up to my doctor's office. And my doctor walks in, into the elevator, holding his cell phone. And he looks at me and he says, well, what are you doing here? So I said, well, I'm here for a pick line. He's, Remember? And he says, yeah, you're not going to need that today. He had just gotten a call on his cell phone that they had lungs for me. You know, my test, I knew there was going to be a testimony that was going to come out of this experience. And it was either going to be my testimony that I can use the rest of my life from which God gives me to encourage people and to say, you know, you really can trust him because he will answer your prayer in some way. Or it was going to be her testimony and my kids' testimony of what we went through as a family and how much we believe in God. And even though we lost dad, we know where he is and we know he did everything that he could for us. And this is God's plan. So there was going to be some testimony coming out of this. I wanted the first, of course, um, but that's the night when I, I just said, I'm ready. And from that point on, it was easier. It really was. It was, a, it was peaceful. It wasn't easy. It was easier to accept. So Mike was at church even a couple Sundays ago. And I don't, Mike, are you in this hour? He usually comes the next hour. Yeah, he'll be in the next service. Um, but... Uh, so Danielle, a couple weeks ago, she said, I think I won the Fasting Miracle Award uh, for the 21-day fast. I said, I think you did, too. I think, I think you absolutely did. And um, just, just a great, great story. I, I can't promise you a new set of lungs if you fast on Friday, but I can promise you a closer relationship with your Heavenly Father and with Jesus. Grab your bulletin. I've got some quick fill-ins. I want you to fill in about, about fasting biblically. Uh, and here's what fasting, I'm going to give you five quick things. Here's why we're going to do this. Number one, fasting biblically releases, it releases more of God's power in your life. This is why we're doing it. There's a special supernatural release. So fasting biblically releases more of God's power. Number two, it makes you stronger. It makes you stronger by practicing self-denial. We all need to get stronger. We get stronger and stronger and stronger together. Number three, it enables you to more, clearly, uh, yeah, to more clearly hear the voice of God. This is what we want you to be able to do. We, we want you to have power. We want you to get stronger. We want you to be able to hear God's will for your life. Number four, it sinks your spirit and your soul to the Holy Spirit. It sinks it up. We get out of sync with our busy lives and all the noise and distractions. So it, it, it sinks us up. Number five, it drives your roots deeper and allows your light to shine uh, even brighter. Now, those are five incredible benefits 
from fasting biblically. I want us to say those out loud together. Ready? We're going to read them together. Here we go. Releases more of God's power, makes you stronger by practicing self-denial, enables you to more clearly hear the voice of God, sinks your spirit and soul to the Holy Spirit, and drives your roots deeper and allows your light to shine brighter. So here's what we're going to do. We have three components to your fast on Friday or whatever day this week you can do. Why? Because Mark chapter 11, verse 11 says this. Jesus, he goes in there. He looks around. He looks around. And I, I want to I give you three components. Maybe for breakfast you do the first one. Maybe while you're not eating breakfast, but breakfast time, okay? Uh, while you're, you normally eat lunch, maybe do the second one. And maybe mid-afternoon or, or whenever to do the third one. So here are the three components of your fast. Get out a sheet of paper, not today, but for on Friday, write this stuff down. Here's the first one. The first one is, I want you to look back. So maybe you get out a sheet of paper and you start writing things down, and maybe this is 15 minutes, maybe this is 20 minutes, but you look back. And looking back is, is like, oh my goodness, I can't believe you put him in my life. Look back, I can't believe you put us as next door neighbors to them. Look back. I can't believe you put me in that church with that youth pastor, with those youth sponsors. I can't believe that grandma so-and-so was praying for us. I can't believe that my grandpa was a godly man. You look back and you see how God has placed you with a spiritual heritage. And it just, it, it just, it'll charge you up because you look back on how you got to where you are today. So that's the first component of your fast on Friday. You look where? Where? You look back, and you're overwhelmed with your story because your story now is synced with God's story on how God has tapped on you, tapped on you, tapped on you. And everybody in this room has a story. You wouldn't be in the room today if you don't have a story. So the first component of your fast on Friday is to look back. Second of all, I want you to look around. Jesus went to the temple courts, and he looked around. Look around. What are the needs? If you're, if you're single, what are your opportunities as a single man or as a single woman? If you're married, how can you pray for your husband? How can you pray for your wife? If you have children, how can you pray for the, what are the needs of your children? If you have grandchildren, what are the needs? You look around. You start real close. And then you begin to look around a little further out. And maybe it's coworkers. Maybe it's the church people. Maybe it's, it's your unchurched coworkers. You look around, and during your fast, Heavenly Father, I'm going without solid food today, and I'm asking you to reach so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so, and you just write all this down. See, last year we gave you a bunch of sheets, and last year we gave you a bunch of guidelines, and all that's cool and great. I'm not doing that this year. I want you to do these three components. First of all, look back. Second of all, look around. And then thirdly, look forward. It's the looking forward that I also want you to see. You get to go to the tree of life. You get to eat from the tree of life forever and forever and forever. You get to go through the city gates. You get to go to the new Jerusalem. You get to be in the holy city. You get to be with God and the Father and the Spirit. You get to be in a town that has no sun or moon because God's glory enlightens the temple. And so you spend that third time looking forward. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to look back. 
Maybe during our time we would normally eat breakfast, we're going to look around, maybe the time we would normally eat lunch, and we're going to look forward, maybe around mid-afternoon. And then we're going to come together that night. If you can't fast that day, we still want you to come. And maybe it's another day. But that night at 5 o'clock and at 7 o'clock, and we're doing two services, and we didn't have room last year, and maybe that'll be more convenient for you. Some of you can come at 5, and some of you that work, you may need to come at 7. As a staff, we're going the whole distance with you. We're with you, baby, right up to 8 o'clock. We're not going to eat until the second hour, the second time. But if you're here at 5 and at 6 o'clock when we're done, you go into the lobby and there's cheese and there's crackers and grapes and you just, we, we break the fast together. But I just want you to know this as a staff, um, I thought it was a good idea to celebrate with both groups, but I was overwhelmed. No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. But we're, gonna, we're in it for the long haul. And, and make Friday an amazing day. Make, make Friday a day of spiritual growth for you. And then on Easter um, Sunday morning, we need 800 of you at 8 o'clock. If we don't get you at 8 o'clock, we're in real trouble. So we're bribing you with a breakfast at 7. And it's free. So if we can get about six or 700 of you coming to the breakfast at 7 o'clock, that would just be ideal. Okay? Revelation chapter 22 verse 17 says this. The spirit and the bride say, come. And the bride is the church. The, 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 bride is, the bride is the church. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who's thirsty say, come. And let the one who wishes to take from the free gift of the water of life. And so this is toward the very end of the last book, the last chapter of the entire Bible. And the invitation is like, come. I want you to come. I want you to come to me. I'm the bright morning star. If you're thirsty, come and come in. Malachi chapter 4 verse 2 says this. But for you who revere my name, why are we learning the names? This is why. Why is this a big deal that you learn his name? Why does he care that you understand his name? There's a whole bunch of names for God in the Old Testament. There's a whole bunch of names for Jesus in the New Testament. Why does he care? But for you who revere my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays, and you will go out and frolic. It's a great word. Like a well-fed calves. So we're going to learn these names. We're going to revere his names because they inspire us and they enable us. I'm going to ask us to stand and let our prayer partners come down front at this time. And uh, if you've never given your life to Christ, I can't think of a better time to do it than during this holy season. If you've never been baptized into Jesus Christ, go out to the guest service desk and sign up because April 27th is our next beach baptism. But I just want to give you the opportunity today to be prayed for, to be prayed over. We had a slew of people in first service. Uh, and it's a much smaller service, but they were just prayed for and prayed over. And we just want to invite you today. The bright morning star invites you into his temple. Let's pray together. Great is your name. Worthy are you, O oh great God. And we worship you today. In your name, Jesus. 
Amen.